There's a lot we can learn from each one of these biblical characters, but because each one of these characters had something special and unique that they, uh, that they contributed uh, around the time of the birth of Christ, I thought it would be uh, fitting if we took time to look at it. Now, the people we're going to study during this, uh, this four-week series is today we're going to study Mary and Zacharias. That's uh, John the Baptist's father. Uh, and in week two, we're going to study Joseph, Mary's husband. In week three, the wise men. In week four, Jesus and Simeon. So uh, I'm excited about this. So today we're going to discuss how Mary and Zechariah both get some surprising news, but there's a huge difference in how they respond to that news, and the way they respond speaks volumes about the strength of their faith. So I titled today's message, How Faith Responds. Now, let's jump in. Uh, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. It says in, hold on a second here. Make sure. Okay, it says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, uh, there was a priest named Zacharias, Zacharias uh, of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the, of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. So Zacharias was a priest, and his wife's name was Elizabeth, and she was a cousin to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, he was from the Judean hill country, uh, and he lived right somewhere around the end of the first of the first century B.C. and beginning of first century A.D., uh, and he was a priest from the order or lineage of Abijah, okay? That was the, a priest from that priestly lineage. Now, Elizabeth, his wife, was also from a priestly lineage, and she was from the line of Aaron, which everybody should be familiar with that priest. So Zacharias and his wife were godly people, but notice it says that they lived blamelessly before God, blamelessly before God. Uh, now, that doesn't mean they lived sinless or perfect. It's just a turn of phrase. It doesn't mean perfection. Uh, back then, it would have meant that they were uh, faithful and that they were committed to the Lord, meaning living blamelessly, meaning they were trying their best to keep the law as much as anyone can. But they had one thing that was holding them back in their eyes, and that is they wanted a child. And they had been praying for a child for a long time, but despite the fact that they were faithful and despite the fact that they had prayed for a long time, God just hadn't blessed them with a child yet. And by this time, I'd say they probably gave up on it because they were, like, old. They were old, old. They were like Bob's age. They were, no, <laughs> just kidding. No, but, uh, no, but they, were, they were too old, too advanced in years. And so I think they'd pretty much given up on it and just thought they would, uh, you know, continue out their life just serving the Lord. However, one thing that has never changed about God and something you'll notice throughout the whole scripture is that one thing he proves is nothing is impossible. And he does everything in his time. And sometimes what we think is impossible is just not in God's time yet, right? Nothing is impossible to him. Because in my opinion, the areas of our life that seem the most hopeless are just areas that are primed for a miracle in our lives. Those are the areas that God can really speak to us, the areas where he can show his power. So one day while he was performing his priestly duties, there was a drawing for who had to perform the duties at certain times, and it was him this time. Uh, and Zacharias received this angelic visitor. So let's look at this. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 8. He says, now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God at the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were in prayer outside at that hour of the incense offering. So just to set the scene before I move on, when he was selected to go in and burn incense, outside of the temple was full of people praying while he was burning incense. So there was a lot of people out there. Verse 11, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. 
Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many uh, will rejoice in his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, or he will be, uh, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Remember that. If you're following along in your Bible, underscore that. Verse 16. Uh, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before capital him. Look, him, capital H, that's Jesus. A forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts uh, of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this angel's name is Gabriel. Let's just get that out of the way. You'll find out that here in a little bit. But... There was basically two angels that were named in scriptures outside of Lucifer, right? One is Gabriel. When Gabriel appears, he's got a message for somebody or a message for a group of people. He is a messenger angel. When you see him, generally he's telling you what's about to come or something God requires from you. He was the messenger angel. Then there was Michael, Michael the archangel. When, when Michael appeared, somebody was going to get whooped. He was like the avenging angel. When he appeared, that meant there was going to be a war, there was going to be a battle, there was going to be a conflict, and he was coming to remind you that God would be with you and explain to you what's going to happen, and he was kind of our protection during the spiritual warfare. So that's how we know this is Gabriel. And the angel Gabriel appeared to Zacharias and told him they were going to have a child. Now think of what Zacharias is thinking right now. He's old. You know, he's old, and he's going, okay, I've been praying all these years. You know what I'd be thinking? When I was 30, I wanted one. You know, when I could still run around and chase them down, you know, and actually be a dad, I wanted one. I don't want to be one at 70. You know what I mean? Here's, here's the way I look at it. I love my kids, but I love the phase of my life I'm in also right now. You know, now, now I watch my grandbaby, and when I'm exhausted, I go, oh, look, Mommy's here. <laughs> you know? Now imagine, imagine for a second here old people they're old and he says you're gonna have a baby and I, I couldn't help but you know people really dog him for how he responded which we'll look out here in a minute but put yourself in his shoes I'm just saying put yourself in his shoes right and they weren't just gonna have any baby they talk about putting pressure on you it's bad enough he's old and gonna have a baby right we'll call it seasoned and gonna have a baby he was gonna have one who would be a prophet all right this baby was going to be a prophet and the, the, the Bible actually says he would be great in the sight of God. So you're going to have a baby who's a, who's a prophet who's been prophesied about, and he's going to be great in the sight of God. And the whole time I'd be thinking, I'm 70, you know. And it said that they were to name him John, and they said he would be spirit-filled even in the womb. Now, a lot of people get confused when they hear spirit-filled, okay, because there's a lot of hoopla around that and a lot of religious jargon around that. But you've got to be cautious as to what you what you think when you see that, because there is definition. See, spirit-filled basically uh, meant that they were uh, blessed to be a spokesperson is basically what that meant. Because if you look in the Bible, both Jeremiah and Paul were set apart by God from birth, supposedly, to be spokesmen for God, okay? So Luke and Acts always associate the filling of the Holy Spirit with precise and powerful ability to speak, okay? That's what they meant when they said uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit, Right now, it's really important. See, before Christ, being permanently indwelled with the Holy Spirit wasn't a very common thing. Okay, the Holy Spirit would come upon people to empower them, and then it would leave. 
If you read the story of Samson, when he pushed the pillars down, it says the spirit came upon him, gave him strength. He pushed the pillars down and then he returned. So the, the, the Holy Spirit in the, in the Old Testament appeared to people, empowered them and left them. The only person we can completely prove was completely indwelled with the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was King David. And we do have evidence of that in 1 Samuel 16. It says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit, capital S, of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Some translations say it never departed. Uh, and Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So he was the only one in the Old Testament who was fully indwelt with the Holy Spirit. He was also committed some serious atrocities afterwards, which tells you that Christians, when in a weakened state, can still make big mistakes, right? But he's the only one we can prove was fully uh, indwelt with the Holy Spirit. So John being filled with the Holy Spirit was a reference to the fact that he was going to be set apart by God and given the ability to be a powerful and precise speaker to share the message, right? That's what it was talking about, okay? Now, a lot of people try to make this into something controversial, saying that this is talking about, you know, people can be born saved or not born saved. It has nothing to do with that, okay? This talking about God had a job set us. God can't help but know, okay? I'm sorry, he can't help but know. If you read a book and you know the ending, if someone asks you how the book ends and you tell them, does that mean you wrote it? No, you just can't help but know the end, right? God knows how what each one of us are going to choose and what, what gifts and abilities we're going to have. And from the womb, he knew that John was going to be a powerful and persuasive speaker, and he would have the ability to move people. There's some people who are just gifted in pulling you in. When they speak, they make you lean in. So that's, that's who John was, and that's what it was talking about, uh, about this. Now, Elizabeth was also inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak uh, when Mary came to see her. So if you look at Luke 139, it says, Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judea and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now here's a filling of the Holy Spirit again, right? This is not an indwelling yet. This is a filling of the Holy Spirit. Christ hadn't been born yet. Verse 42, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And uh, how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. So the Holy Spirit came upon Elizabeth and made her say those words. Talk about confirmation for Mary. Okay, this is after Mary had found out that about the immaculate conception here. So when she comes into the room, she had to still have some fears. And she walks in and her cousin says, here comes the mother of my Lord. When you enter the door, the, my, my baby leapt in my womb. You see what I mean? So this was confirmation also for Mary. Now, Gabriel also said that John would bring them joy and turn many Israelites back to God. Now, I'm sure as you've already guessed, the John we're talking about is John the Baptist. This is John the Baptist, all right? And he'd be the forerunner of Jesus, meaning he would prepare people to receive the kingdom message that Jesus was bringing first to the Jews. Now, his preaching would also convince people to change their hearts and their attitudes, right? Now, notice the angel also said, in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Of Elijah. Now, I wanted to get to this because there's so many, I don't know, how many people have heard different conspiracy theories about this? Anybody? Okay, I read the wrong stuff. Okay, there's two people. Okay, but there's a lot of people that, that take this and run with it. This verse can be confusing. It can be confusing, and it's often misrepresented, whether intentionally or unintentionally, by preachers and teachers. All it meant was that John would continue 
the ministry that Elijah began in the Old Testament. That's what it means. Coming in the power and spirit of Elijah meant that it would be, he would continue on that ministry. And the ministry that Elijah began in the Old Testament was preaching to Israel about repentance and turning back to God. They had turned to so many pagan gods throughout the, the history of their nation. And if you read the history of the nation of Israel, they're obedient and blessed. They're not obedient. They're in captivity. They're obedient and blessed. They're not obedient. They're in captivity. That's just the, the way it goes throughout the Old Testament, right? So Elijah's job was to teach the nation of Israel to repent and prepare for God. And it's the exact same thing that John the Baptist is doing, just at, at a different time. Now, it's actually a reference here to Malachi about two different messengers. Okay, so let's take a look at this. One messenger who was mentioned in Malachi 3.1 and one messenger was mentioned in Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Now, those verses I read in Luke were quoting both of those and talking about two different messengers, and I'll explain that. So Malachi 3.1 says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Those are both capitalized. They're talking about God. Uh, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Then there's Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. You might want to underscore that. Verse 6. He will restore hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Okay, does that sound familiar? That's the same thing he just quoted in Luke, right? Now, Jesus confirmed that John the Baptist, we'll look at that in just a second, but Jesus even confirmed that John the Baptist fulfilled Malachi 3.1. He was the, the, the messenger of 3.1 because in, uh, in Matthew 11.10, Jesus says, this is the one whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, right, uh, who will prepare the way before you. Uh, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. I think that makes it clear, don't you? Malachi 3.1 was John the Baptist. Yet, uh, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So John was the fulfillment of 3.1. He was that messenger. And he would have been, stay with me here, he would have been the fulfillment of Matthew 4, 5, and 6. He would have been the fulfillment of that prophecy also. But... If the Jews had believed, he would have taken that responsibility upon himself. But they refused to believe, right? And since had the Jews believed in Jesus as their Messiah, the millennial kingdom would have started right away, and the great and terrible day of the Lord would have happened right away. Okay, that day of judgment would have happened right away. But they rejected him. They rejected him. So he wasn't able to fulfill that prophecy because they rejected him. He couldn't play that role. So that's what he was talking about uh, when he said that. But... You know, here's the thing. The great and terrible day of the Lord was prophesied to happen, and it's still going to happen. Okay, and the great and terrible day of the Lord is the day that the seven-year tribulation begins. Now, I want to throw something out there. If you're a believer, this has nothing to do with you. If you're a believer, you're reading somebody else's mail here because guess what? When you believe, you are guaranteed to miss that. Okay, you will miss the great and terrible day of the Lord because you believed. So... When the rapture happens, it actually kicks off the great and terrible day of the Lord. Three and a half years of peace, three and a half years of curse. So, we, you know, this sounds terrible, and sometimes I feel like maybe I, I, I sound bad to people saying this, but I wasn't born with that filter. So I'm just going to say it. I am so glad that's not me. Aren't you? I mean, when I read that, I think, gosh, I hope people believe, but if not, sure glad I did. You know what I mean? 
Because when you read about the tribulation and what's going to happen during that time frame, I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be the Monday morning quarterback sitting in heaven beside Jesus going, wow, they're messing that up. You know, that's where I want to be when all that stuff's going on. Okay. Now, you would think a priest who comes from a lineage of priests, someone who was raised to know the word of God and raised to know the powerful stories that, about God and all the things he had done, you know, delivering them from Egypt the way he did with the plagues and parting the Red Sea and making, you know, the quail fly in when they asked for meat, making rain, uh, making it rain bread, you know, for them to eat called manna. Um, you'd think someone that knew all those stories of all people, you would think when, a, when an angel came and gave him news like this, he'd just be ecstatic. He'd just say, yes. Okay, I believe you. You would think that would happen because he, he probably taught every week about the power and all the miracles that God had performed, you would think. But see, Zacharias had allowed some of the worldly doubts to creep into his mind. And we get to see that here. Luke 1.18. Zacharias said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? Now think about what he just asked. An angel appears to you in the temple. This wasn't FedEx knocking at the front door. UPS did not drop a packet off and run with their little brown shorts back to the truck. This is not what happened. Okay? An angel of the Lord appeared to you supernaturally in the temple of God and said, you're going to have a sign. And he goes, huh. So what's the sign that that's going to happen? Can you imagine Gabriel going, I'm the sign. <laughs> I showed up. What else do you want? I'm not going to juggle chainsaws for you. You know, so he says, how will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. He's a smart man. You notice he did not call his wife an old woman. <laughs> he said, I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And he looks over at her, you know, because he didn't call her old, right? Verse 19, the angel answered and said to him, now listen, see if you notice anything in his tone here. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which, uh, we will, uh, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Now, can you tell that it ticked Gabriel off? He's like, let me get this straight. I sit at the throne of God, okay? I was sent here. To you. That doesn't happen all the time, my friend. I was sent to you in the temple to give you a message from God. He wanted to send it to you in the person of an angelic supernatural being. And you have the guts to question me? You ask me? How will I know this is actually going to happen? What do you think? I'm lying? You know what I mean? That's what he felt. And you can see that in the way that he spoke. It ticked him off. So the blessing that Gabriel prophesied about John turned into discipline. He's like, I came to give you good news, but the first thing out of your mouth was doubt. Oh, we're, don't, don't shake your head like that's terrible, because I'm coming back to that, trust me. But the first thing to come out of his mouth was doubt. So he said, listen, you shouldn't question a messenger of God, let alone if you're a priest, you should know better. So Gabriel says, since the first thing out of your mouth was doubt, you won't have anything come out of your mouth until this happens. Since your response to faith was, how do I know you're telling me the truth, basically? 
since that was what you uttered, you won't utter another word until you find out that God's messengers always bring truth. So you won't speak another word until the son is born. So Gabriel was temporarily, you know, he temporarily made Zacharias a mute uh, until the prophecy was fulfilled. And when Zacharias came out, now remember, there were tons of people out there praying, a bunch of people out there praying. And he walks out. The first thing they're wanting to know is what happened, right? They're dying to know what God said. And he's like, you know, he can't speak. And then they knew when he couldn't speak, he had had a supernatural encounter. They just didn't know exactly what had happened because now he had become a mute. He was unable to speak. Now look at Luke 1, through 25. It says, the people were waiting for Zacharias and were, uh, were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Uh, when the days of his priestly service ended, he went back home. After these uh, days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in my days when he looked uh, with favor upon me uh, to take away my disgrace among men. So he came out, he couldn't speak, he finished his duties, and he just went home. Right? He just went home, and... And she got pregnant. I'm, I'm just going to leave that alone. <laughs> anyway, he went home and she got pregnant. We're going to leave it at that. Anyway, and so then she was thankful. She had a better response to it than he did. Now, how often do we pray for something, and if it doesn't happen in our time, we give up? I see it all the time. I have people literally that call me. I have people that come and see me. And one of the first things out of their mouth is, why does God hate me? Why doesn't God want to bless me? And I'm like... Okay, before you start throwing stones at God, maybe you should tell me what's going on first. Because generally, when you start by assigning blame to God, it tells me your heart's not where it should be. So let's see what's going on before you start blaming God for everything, right? And it happens all the time. And even worse, once we give up, if God did answer our prayer, we probably wouldn't believe it anyway. Because it wouldn't be in our time. And if it's not in our time, it's wrong. You ever notice that? Now, be honest. How many of you have ever been mad because you wanted something from God in a right time, in a, in a time frame that you had figured out in all your earthly wisdom and it didn't happen, you got mad at him. Raise your hand. People I say, I've never been mad at God. I go, wow, that's awesome. You're a liar. Anyway, everybody has that moment where you're like, why? Why? Tell me you haven't had that moment where you're like, Lord, why is the atheist who is putting filth all over the Internet a billionaire and the man who is sharing the word of God is in poverty? Why, how does that work out? And a lot of times if God can answer immediately on the spot, if he would choose to, he would say, well, because he'll be a billionaire for, you know, 75, 80 years, he will be saved for eternity. He's actually the more wealthy of the two. You just can't see with the eyes that I see with. That would be the answer. But a lot of times we allow ourselves to get mad at God and we get to a point where we just don't believe because he's not doing things the way we want him to do things, right? We convince ourselves that God's just being mean to us. God's just being mean to us. I've literally had people say they argued with God. I'm like, how did that work out? I've never won an argument with my wife, let alone God, you know? I don't understand how that works out. People get there, you know what I mean? It's just frustrating to me, but we act like such big babies, and then we get mad at God and say all these things about God, and then, then we go to church the next Sunday and lift our hands and sing, how great is our God? The hypocrisy, you know what I mean? The hypocrisy. What we should be singing is how mean and inconsiderate is our God because he didn't do things Chris's way. You know what I mean? That's what we should be singing because that's, that's the way we act. Listen, if I were God, 
which that's a terrifying thought, most people would say. I, w- I don't blame them. I wouldn't bless people that had about 10 minutes of faith in me either. If you don't believe, I, I w- if, if God sees that we don't believe he's enough God to trust him to work in his time, why would he bless you? It says the man who doubts ought not to think he'd receive anything from God in James. That's what it says. So we get mad at God. We start doubting his power. We start questioning his resolve and the things that he's doing. And we say, why isn't he blessing us? And God's going, really? Really? Wives, your husband comes up and totally sells you out and says he doesn't believe in you and he wants to find somebody else to do the things you do because you're not good at him and you don't do them in his time. How good are things going to be for that man? How good is that relationship going to be? Right? Are you going to go out of your way to do anything for the guy who basically just sold you out? No. Same thing with the husbands. Listen, why would God bless us if we don't have enough faith to wait on him? If we believe God is able, we have to believe that he's able in his time and that his time is perfect. And when his time comes, we see that it's perfect. So a lot of times we look at what, what Zacchaeus did here and we think, oh my gosh, he was promised to have, you know, he was promised to have the son that was going to be a prophet, going to be John the Baptist, and he questioned. Well, I mean, he wasn't an old man. You know, it didn't happen in his time. We probably would have taken the same stance. Now I want to take a look at a different approach to faith. So let's look at Mary. Uh, the mother of Jesus. So Mary was the only biological earthly parent of Jesus. And so her lineage, when, it re- when you see the lineage in the scripture, her lineage is the one that should be listed. Now, for example, Luke's genealogy of Jesus was different than Matthew's. Okay? Because Luke mentions no women whatsoever in his lineage. Luke doesn't mention women in his lineage. Right? And most... Most scholars believe that that was for cultural reasons, right, that he did that. But either way, he used Joseph's name. You see Joseph in this lineage. Here's the problem. If you look at it, most theologians agree that he was using Joseph's name as a representation for Mary. So he listed Mary's lineage under Joseph's name. This was actually the lineage of Mary, who was also in the line of David, right? And how do we know that? Well... Because uh, Joseph, I couldn't think of her husband's name for a second there. I'm like, <laughs> Mr. Mary. No. <laughs> Just saying. What did I say about being old earlier? Man. But anyway, uh, Joseph was from the line of David through Nathan. That was where he, his line came through Nathan. Mary was from the line of David, uh, and, she, and she was through... Um, Wait a minute, I said that totally wrong. I'm out there, okay? So David came through, through uh, Nathan. Uh, Lord, help me, somebody. <laughs> God's going, yeah, you made cracks about women. I'm going to make you pay for it. No, but anyway, basically, they had different, they had different people in their lineage. Uh, uh, Solomon was, the, was his lineage. He came through the lineage of Solomon, and she came through the lineage of Nathaniel. If you read those lineages, they mention Nathaniel, Nathan, but they don't mention Solomon. If that, were, if that were Joseph's line, it would have mentioned Solomon after David. It didn't. It mentioned Nathan, which was her line. Okay? So that lineage was hers. They just substituted her name with Joseph. I don't know, for cultural reasons? I have no idea. After the buffoon I just went through there, I'm not questioning the guy why he did it. So anyway, so now let me set the scene before we go any further with Mary. Okay, it was not uncommon for women to be married very young. Many by the ripe old age of 14. 
How many people here have or have had a 14-year-old? Raise your hand. How many feel like they'd be capable of being a good wife at 14? I'd just be happy if they cleaned their room at 14. You know what I mean? Can you imagine? But a lot of them at that time, again, it was cultural. They were married, most of them married by the age of 14, and Mary was no exception. Uh, most scholars agree that she was probably around 14 when she got married, 14 or 15 when she, uh, when she actually found out she was pregnant. Now, there's not a ton we know about Mary. There just doesn't tell us a ton in there other than we know her husband. His name's Joseph, and when he was a carpenter. We know that. Uh, we know that uh, she had six other children besides Jesus. There was five boys and two girls. Uh, we know that. Uh, we know that she was very young when she married, and most uh, theologians believe that she was a very young widow. Because you notice that you don't hear, read anything about Joseph other than after the first few chapters of each gospel. You just don't read much about him anymore. So most believe that she was a young widow. That's really all we know about her. But what is very obvious about Mary is that she had very strong faith and she was favored by God. So let's look at Luke one twenty six. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Uh, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at that statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So like Zacharias, Mary also received a visit from Gabriel, this angel Gabriel. But unlike Zacharias, Gabriel's message to Mary was way more complicated than his. Okay, this is, if anybody should have questioned the message, it would have been her. Because let's look how complicated this was. She was a young woman who was only engaged and supposed to remain a virgin until that marriage was official. Okay? So he comes up and says, you're going to bear a son. So for her to turn up pregnant before she was married in this culture could have had, I mean, catastrophic consequences. This could have been very, very bad for her. And also, like Zacharias, Mary was surprised and she was a little confused about Gabriel's message. Look at this, Luke one thirty four. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be uh, done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So unlike Zacharias, Mary's question wasn't based on doubt. She wasn't doubting God's ability to make her pregnant. Here's the deal. Her question had, was, was about anatomy, not doubt. She's going, I haven't been in this game a long time. But I know how babies are made. And I haven't done any of the prerequisites to have one. So that's what she was confused about, just anatomy. She's like, okay, I'll do whatever the Lord asked me to do, but I think I'm going to throw it out there. I haven't done anything with Joseph. I have not been intimate with him. So um, anatomically, I would like to understand how this is going to happen. 
So she wasn't doubting. It was just confusing. And up to that point, there had never been an immaculate conception. There hadn't been one up to this point. So that probably didn't cross her mind, right? It comes to our mind because we know about the history. It wouldn't have come to her mind. Um, but the moment he cleared all that up for us, she believed every word he said. And not only did she believe him, she committed, humbly committed and vowed her submission to God's work. She said, oh, I mean, she just believed it. He said, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and overshadow you, and you're going to have a baby that's been placed there by God. And she's like, all right then, well, whatever you need. That was her response. See the difference between Zacharias and her? Zacharias is going, I don't know, I need a sign. You know, only thing she asked was, okay, how do we get around the anatomy thing? And he says, God's just going to put it there. And she's like, deal, I'm in. What do you need from me? Right? So we see there's a lot different response to faith there. Now, Mary's response is the key to spiritual success. And it reminds me, the whole time I was reading her story, I kept thinking about Proverbs 3. Okay, look at this. Proverbs 3, starting in verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean, what? On your own understanding. Was that not Mary? I mean, she didn't get it. So she asked, how does that work? He told her and she said, fair enough. That was it. No argument. Verse 6. And always acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. In Proverbs 3, 5, he's saying this is what happens to people who just listen and believe. Not try to put it through their own screen, not try to filter out what the world has told them, they hear what God says, they believe what God says, and God blesses them for it. That is what makes me think of Mary. Every time I read it, I think of Mary. Now, both Mary and Zacharias had an amazing encounter with God's supernatural ability, but, I mean, only Mary was able to harness her fear and her doubt and just completely trust in the Lord without leaning on her own understanding. That was, She was the only one, right? And in a world full of crazy spiritual, social, and political beliefs, faith is very important. And I want to I put this out there. All of you will exercise faith in something every day. We just don't know it. People always say, well, I, I just have a problem with those people of faith. I'm like, you're a people of faith. You know what I mean? We just don't realize that we're people of faith. For instance, we have faith in pilots. How many people get on an airplane and knock on the cabin door? Let me see your license. Let me smell your breath, make sure you haven't had a few cocktails. We don't do that. We just try to hurry up and get back there and steal a seat we shouldn't have, so it's a better seat than ours, Right? That's it. You just run to the back of the airplane. You don't worry about who's flying it. You don't know there could be some hobo up there that's never flown one in his life. But you just have faith that that guy knows what he's doing. How about doctors? How many people walk into a doctor's office and go, I need some references? You look on the wall and go, oh, degree. Yeah, because a printer couldn't make that. Right? And then automatically, you trust him. That's faith. Right? How about Uber drivers? Maybe that's a bad example. But when you call for an Uber driver, you're just, uh, you, you just got to pray that it's not some disgruntled poster worker who just finished a bottle of Jack. You got to pray that that's the case, right? Because you don't know him, but you have faith and you climb in the back of that car. All right. School teachers, you trust them. What a mistake. I'm just kidding. I just said that to aggravate school. No, school teachers are great. I've told you that a million times. I'm all for them. I'm behind them 100%. But we do. We go into a, How many times do your kids believe something because someone is a teacher? They just don't, they don't question them whatsoever. They're a teacher. We're supposed to believe them, right? That can be good and that can be bad. 
But we exercise faith in those things every day. And think about this. We put faith in those people who don't care about you. Do you think the pilot's going to be there for you if you have someone in your family dying? He doesn't care. Do you think that Uber driver's going to come back and bring you flowers on your birthday? He don't care. You know, none of those people are, in this, are invested in loving you. None of them are. Yet you will exercise complete faith in them by climbing onto their plane or climbing into their car and not even question it. Right? So we do have faith we have to exercise all the time. Here's the difference. When we exercise faith in Jesus, he's the only one that loved us enough to die for us. Right? And listen, people say, well, I can't see Jesus. You can't see the pilot either. Because you'll get thrown in jail if you try. Just throwing it out there. And you still got on the plane. The evidence that the plane's going somewhere and there's a pilot is there. And the evidence that God is real and changing lives is all around you. And the fact that he loves you is all around you. So if you're going to exercise faith in something, maybe it's something that for 6,000 years has proven to do nothing but love us. And that's God. So when I see these two different responses to faith, it makes me respect Mary that much more. I know I feel like we're giving Zacharias a bad deal because he had one moment of doubt in his life. But I think it's funny that a 14-year-old girl who had nothing but a passion for God in her heart shows 10 times the faith of a seasoned priest from a lineage of priests. Because, listen, she didn't lean on her own understanding. She just trusted in the Lord. And we're going to see a lot more about her as time moves forward. I've got to stop there. We'll pick up there ne- next week. I'm going to ask you, would you please bow your head? If this is your first time, we always like to give an invitation. So while every head is bowed and eye is closed, we just, if there's someone here who'd like me to pray for him, I don't need to know why, but I want to pray for you. Maybe you're not sure where you stand, but there's something in your life you need prayer for. Just make eye contact with me and put your head right back down. Bless those people. Bless those people. And I'm not... I'm not going to chase you down. Bless those people. Bless those people. And I really do pray. I do. But I'm going to pray as we close here that as we come into the Christmas season, I always think every year I just pray, let something happen during this season that reminds them that this is about Jesus. That this is about eternal life. Not the lights. It's about that. It's such a great time for people to hear the story. I just pray we get impassioned enough to share it. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy and your kindness. We thank you especially for your grace. I know I don't deserve heaven. I know none of us do. We don't have anything to trade. We can't be righteous. We can't be good enough. It's only through your love and grace and the sacrifice you made at Calvary Hill that we even have an opportunity to have eternal life. It's not about what we can do. It's about what he did. And your word promises if we believe that what Jesus did was enough to guarantee our eternal life, we will have it. So if there's someone who's having that battle in their mind, clear out all the doubt and remind them that you died so that they would just believe. And any changes that need to happen, you'll make them happen. God, we just pray that if they make that decision, they contact us. God, for those of us who are believers, as we enter into this season where we celebrate the birth of your son, We just pray, God, that we remember the greatest gift we could ever have was our salvation. And the greatest one we could give is to share the story, to share the gospel, to let people know that he doesn't love us any more than he loves them. Give us a passion to stop judging and trying to exclude people and find ways to embrace them and show them the love of Christ. We feel the time is short. God, use us to enlarge the borders of your kingdom. We just thank you and we ask you to Go with us as we leave here and keep us safe. And if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, let us come together one more time and give you all the praise, honor, and glory you're so worthy of. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.